The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five! High Five! Casino! Casino! Win at High Five Casino! High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Happy summer, right in the middle of it. Hopefully you're doing well. I'm Ray Harkins, your host for 100 Words or Less, the podcast where we gallivant in independent music and we talk to people who make it up, whether it's, you know, playing in bands, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's taking all the stuff that you have learned from this beautiful, beautiful scene and apply it to other creative endeavors. That's, that's who we got on the show. And it's, it's, it's a good time, right? I'm having a good time. Thank you very much for everybody who's recently dove into this show because I've been getting a lot of feedback from, uh, from new people who have been listening to the show via, you know, Spotify and other different platforms. The show is, uh, spreading its tentacles. And I love that. I really appreciate you checking this thing out. So, uh, cause there's, there's a lot of other things that you could be doing with your time. Like so much like you know, this podcast quote unquote competes against everything else that's out there from you know Netflix to, games in your phone to other podcasts or whatever. So the fact that so many of you download this and take your time to spend time with this is really, really valuable. And I, I want to make sure like, this is not just like platitudes. I'm not just like putting it out there because like, Oh, thank you very much for tuning in. It's like, no, I really genuinely appreciate that. So I hope you know that the guest this week is Matt Copland. He is the vocalist for band, a band called reversal of man who loomed large in my in early 2000s, you know, screamo, hardcore, whatever you want to call it. It loomed large in my, uh, my uh, I guess, musical input, as it were, uh, because I was uh, obsessed with all things that kind of uh, circled around the ebullition uh, ecosystem. And uh, if you don't know what ebullition is, then uh, you can easily Google it. But uh, to give you a brief history lesson, Ebullition Records was a record label based out of Goleta, California, which is basically right next to Santa Barbara. And uh, they were not only a label, but a distro as well, run by a guy named Kent McClard. 
and they had uh, DIY or die was their, uh, their life's blood. They, uh, you know, basically didn't stock records that had barcodes and, uh, you know, they sold to record stores, uh, independent record stores around the country. And, uh, I visited the distro many times. Um, Kent, I knew on a first name basis when I would come into the, uh, the distro to buy more stuff. And I just really, really admired, um, all of the bands that kind of circled in that, uh, that world. Uh, just because it was, you know, it was very hand to mouth, very reactionary. It was like, we're going to self screen print shirts from a thrift store and sell them later on tonight at our show. Um, you know, bands like Yafet Kodo and Orchid and all that stuff was just, um, I was so lucky to have witnessed a lot of those bands and to be able to kind of experience that. And so Reversal Man was completely in that wheelhouse. So um, let's get some, let's get some stuff that is on my mind onto your mind. And then I'll talk a little bit more about Matt before we dive in. Uh, first of all, I am in Hawaii and I'm posting this episode that shows how dedicated I am to not only you, but this show. <laughs> I just, I have to give myself a pat on the back, back occasionally. Cause I mean, it's like whatever, 315, 14 episodes in and, uh, very rarely do I take a week off. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, way to go, Ray, <laughs> but, uh, band merch, right? You wear band merch. I'm wearing band merch as we speak. I'm wearing a disembodied t-shirt and, uh, you need to buy band merch and you can do that at rockabilly.com and use the code PC Jabberjaw will get you 15% off of your first order. I love their service. They've got so many items to choose from anything you can think of from like really obscure bands to the biggest bands in the world. They have it and they have options for you. Great shipping rates like they're not you know being like oh cool here's a 15 dollar you know first class mail charge it's like no they're charging you the reasonable amount and uh they're just they're great people over there i've i've gotten to know one of the uh guys frankie a little bit through our business dealings and uh yeah he's just he's just a dude that supports the scene man <laughs> as simple as simple as that so support rockabilia you support this show pc jabberjaw will get you 15 percent off your order and you should cash in on that immediately if you already haven't so and if you have then just tell a friend okay uh what else do i got um nothing nothing else i mean actually no that's not true i've been having a lot of feedback as well from a couple weeks ago i told many of you well not many of you all of you who listen to the show been having uh, some struggles with my uh, my son as far as him going through some anxiety and some fears uh, he's been going to therapy and I really appreciate all of you who have reached out about that. Um, because you, know, you don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> this is something that, uh, many of my family members have suffered from. I personally haven't uh, gone through it myself, but, um, yeah, sometimes you just feel helpless and it's nice to hear from other people who, uh, go through that journey and struggle at times. And so, yeah, I just appreciate all of you who reach out and you can always email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. I am uh, pretty punishing when it comes to responses. <laughs> like sometimes people are, are disarmed because I respond so quickly and they're like, dude, do you need to take a minute? I'm like, no, no, thank you so much for writing. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So like I said, Matt, vocalist of reversal of man. He, uh, also is a very, very well-known, uh, BMX industry lifer. He's, uh, he, we talk about that a little bit in the interview, but, um, I just reversal man was an incredible band, uh, you know, short lived as far as the, uh, years and musical output, but, uh, the revolution summer EP, that was the first thing that I got into them on. And then, uh, this is the, this is medicine LP was also incredible. And that came out in ebullition records. And, uh, I got to see them once at the PCH club in, uh, Long Beach or actually Wilmington, California, to be more precise. 
And, uh, I always, Matt was always kind of like looming in my circle of friends. And I was like, I, I really, I want to reach out. And, uh, Matt has been nothing like we've, we've continued on a relationship after this interview. And I, I love that when I can connect with people on a deep level and then also be like, oh yeah, like I actually like to talk to you besides just the <laughs> interview for the podcast. It's really cool. So here is Matt and I will talk to you. Uh, yeah. After the episode is over. Okay. So yeah, like I said, I kind of, you know, uh, start these things off my own personal entry point to, you know, you and your music and everything like that. Um, it's so in reversal of man for w- whatever reason, being from Southern California, it, it just loom, your band loomed very large in my life because, uh, you know, I saw you guys play at the PCH club, um, in Long Beach. And I was also really piped into the, you know, ebullition scene, like basically any band that had any sort of tangential affiliation to the label or the distro, I was just, you know, all on board. And, you know, with, with reversal, man, like clearly you guys had, uh, you know, a, kind of a, a, an agenda from the get go in ways that, you know, many other bands just kind of, oh, whatever, we're playing music. Um, I presume that kind of, uh, intention, uh, was really at the forefront of your guys's mind as you started to kind of put things together or did it just kind of happen, you know, as you started to kind of flesh out the, the music and the message kind of came, um, at the same time, I guess. Um, that's actually a really good question. I've, I've been thinking about this. I had a conversation with my buddy Justin last week, and and uh, he he's an old friend of mine from the from the punk and hardcore scene as well. And <clears throat> as we were talking about it, I realized like they were they were almost like different 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 historical parts of the band. We were only around for five years, but I feel like you know the the beginning was us. Well, I mean, mo- most of the lyrics were written by myself, but I'll, a lot of those lyrics were based on just random things I was I was kind of into at the time, and that seemed to be the first avatar from like '95 to '97. Like, for some reason, I, I got into like extraterrestrial stuff. I don't know why, because looking back, I'm like, why was why was I even interested in that? <laughs> well, dude, <laughs> so kid, like that, kid, yeah, kids get interested in UFOs and ghosts and unexplained stuff. So I get that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So there was a little bit of that in the beginning, which you know was, was kind of funny looking back on. And then, um, and then I would say in like '97, um, a lot of family-related stuff started popping up, and I realized that like a lot of stuff dealing with my grandparents as they were getting older, because they they essentially raised me. So I had a very strong connection to both my grandmother and my grandfather on my maternal side. So those issues were popping up, and and like. Um, um, death kind of popped up a lot in that. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because they were getting older, and I was really fearing their, you know, passing away. Which a couple of years later they did, and then, um, and then Dan Ratty kind of came into the into the mix. And Dan was was always a good friend of ours, and he ended up playing guitar for us in '98. And um, a lot of the stuff that came out of the Revolution Summer Ten Inch, which was you know very heavily based on friendship was a lot of, of his doing, not, not doing, but just him getting involved. We realized that, man, we're just, we really enjoyed being in this band together. And, and I think friendship and within our scene, I think played a large part in the lyric writing then. And I, I think it was attributed to the fact that we were kind of stuck on this peninsula down here and a lot of bands didn't come through 
um, while they were touring. So the scene down here was really, really tight knit. And it was, it was really just this large group of friends. And I feel like reversal of man was an extension or an extending into that. So as I, as I'm getting older, I realized that reversal of man wasn't necessarily the five dudes that were in the band. And I feel that Chris Taylor from page 99 kind of briefed on this as well. Like it was a, a much larger group of people almost encompassing our whole scene. And that was what really played in the lyrics in 98. And then we went on tour, um, and we did that six-week tour with Ass Suck, which I'm thinking that's when you might have seen us play at the PCH Club. I, was I, th- I uh, it was, well, did you guys come out here with Orchid as well, or am I m- misremembering that? Maybe. I was, I actually, I actually left tour in 99. Okay. Uh, I, had a nervous breakdown in 99 and left and the reversal man continued as a three piece. And then I joined again the next summer. Dude, that's, So I was out, I yeah. was out for, I think, okay. That, that, that probably was the, when I saw it. Cause I, I never saw Asuk. Um, so I, I, and I know I would have like, you know, stuck around to see them or whatever, but yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I, I do like how you painted that picture. Cause I, I think a lot of, you know, scenes, especially, you know, kind of, uh, pre or, you know, in the infancy of the internet, you know, you were left to your own devices and the only way you connected were, you know, pen pals and letters and, you know, maybe message boards as, you know, that started to become a thing. But yeah, the, certain bands and certain scenes really kind of rallied around that fact of what you're talking about, where it's just like, yeah, you know, we're, we are a band and we are these, you know, four or five members, but everybody kind of rallies around it in a way that is like, this is, you know, whether anyone could describe it at the time, it's kind of emblematic of our town and our scene. Yes, agreed very much so. It's interesting, too, because you brought up pen pals. Like, the, the pen pal situation was a very, very important part of the band for all of us because all of us wrote a ton of letters to people. I mean, I was corresponding with people in my own town via snail mail, you know? And it, when I started college, <clears throat> right after Reversal Man started in the summer of 95, and I remember I, I, I chose uh, environmental science just because I thought, oh, you know, there's some weird connection to the environment, animal liberation, which I was really into at the time. So I'll get into this, which I eventually switched to English and creative writing. But I was writing, I was probably writing 25 letters a week <laughs> in between going to class. And I would get, you know, six or seven letters in a day. And by that night, when I was done studying, I would write six or seven more letters out to people. And I think the original lengthy tours we did, uh, on top of being on tour with ASUC, were all these connections that we had made and friendships we had made via, you know, via snail mail, essentially. So, uh, and then I feel like those people got invo- involved with the band as well. because we would, we would play these shows out of town and it would just be like a group of people that we knew from writing letters to that were just built in seeing that we went to them instead of this, you know, them being from here in Tampa, it was, it's actually really awesome thinking back about it because wherever we went up in the Northeast or even in Southern California, or there were like these pockets of people that we knew that were just kind of a built in group of friends for us where we'd go. So it's kind of interesting how that played into things. Yeah, totally. Well, I, it's, you know, cause I, I always try to make sure that, you know, these conversations don't get into the, you know, old man nostalgic territory of like, oh, things used to be so much pure or whatever. But like, you know, what you were doing with the, the pen pal scenario is, you know, similar to how people were, you know, banging out MySpace messages. And like, yes, of course, there's an easier delivery mechanism. Like, you don't have to put a stamp on it and put it. In a sure, box. absolutely. But like, you know, these things exist. And as long as like the dedication is there for people to spend the time on it. 
um, you know, then it's uh, like, like you said, then you're able to show up at places and have, um, you know, familiar faces. Like, even though, like you said, you've, you know, never met in real life, but then you meet the person and it's like, Oh yeah. Like we're already, you know, we're talking about the, the cool vegan spot in town or whatever. And that's, that's really, you know, I, I think that is special about this scene because of that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, in Tampa, it was, it was amazing. Like it was a, a younger scene here. Like people, when I was in high school in the, in the mid to late nineties, like it was a really small scene. And by, I mean, by 97, Tampa had become this really, really thriving scene and bands were finally coming down to, to visit. It was, it was really amazing. There was a draw. I mean, this is kind of tangential, but you know, when I first started going to shows in the early nineties, there was, there was none of that. It was, you get big bands down here, but the DIY scene was very, very minimal. And then, you know, through the nineties and early two thousand early aughts, I should say it, it got really, really, I don't know. It became a really, really rich and huge scene. So definitely stoked to look back on that yeah. thinking about it. No, for sure. Yeah. And especially too, when you have uh, certain bands that, you know, uh, quote unquote, make it out of the town and, you know, have some sort of national recognition, then other people, you know, other younger kids look at that and are like, oh, like I can do that in some fashion. And so, yeah, that, that's the only way that, um, you know, scenes get built. And I've always, <laughs> I've always had this idea in my head that, you know, if I was, uh, you know, like a, a millionaire, I would love to basically be like, you know, a hardcore band of like pirates where basically you go, to these, <laughs> you know, it's like you go to these small towns where I don't know why I always like, there, there's a place called Gilroy, California, which is like the garlic capital of the world. And I just like, how rad would it be to like spend a year in that town and like, you know, start a band and like, it just, I don't know, like to kind of plant those seeds in a really deliberate way. <laughs> but yeah, that's essentially, Gilroy, Gil, yeah. Gilroy's outside of Fresno, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which, is, which is funny because Gilroy as a crazy transition has a huge BMX scene, believe it or not. Oh, there, see, there you go. There's already an undercurrent of like something. Yeah, like that. totally. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and so kind of, kind of pointing, you know, more directly towards you, like you said, you were, you know, raised by your, uh, you know, your grandparents had a very large hand in uh, your upbringing. Um, describe to me your family structure as you were growing up. Um, my mom, well, th- th- I don't want to get too personal on this, but both of my parents were married and divorced three times. So, um, my, my stepfather kind of raised me. Um, but we lived literally across the street from my grandparents. Like right. my, our driveways, you know, there was a road separating our driveways. So uh, my mom worked a lot. Um, she had several kind of big deal jobs. She was uh, a manager of at Reynolds Aluminum actually here in Tampa for a while. Um, so I was, I was raised mostly by my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandfather passed away in 95. Um, he was a World War II veteran. So I, I, I had a really strong connection to him um, just with his history, and he was a really, really intelligent person, really, really good at math. And then my grandmother did all the, you know, she raised me and took his places and whatnot. So um, unfortunately, my, my mom, because she was working full time and then eventually got a divorce from my stepdad, she she was not really around as much as she'd like to be. So that's where my grandparents came in. And um, it was weird. I, my grandmother was an alcoholic. And she had a gambling addiction. She was basically an addict. I mean, she had all kinds of vices. And I feel like because of who she was made me who I was because I didn't, in this weird roundabout way, I didn't want to upset her in any way. So what I did was I did the opposite of what she did (laughs) in this weird roundabout. Like, so, you know, I've never tried alcohol. I never did that. I didn't even use anything like that. So, so she kind of set this benchmark 
for the person I didn't want to become, but also the person I didn't want to piss off. <laughs> so, uh, sure. Really bizarre relationship. Um, but I mean, I loved her to death and, and, um, I, I miss her quite a bit, but yeah, she, she pretty much raised us both me and my youngest brother actually. So, um, and then later on when we, uh, it's funny late, as a side note, we, we would eventually do shows in our garage, um, mostly in the summer of 90 summers of 99, 96 and 97. My, my mom at that time, Kind of was, I was experiencing, experiencing some rough times. She actually worked at a bingo hall, believe it or not, at night. So okay. um, we would have these bands come in and play either our garage or my living room. Bands would come in right after she left to work. We would play. Um, the house would be a wreck. We'd clean up the house. The bands would leave, and then my mom would come home from work. And the funny thing is, is that she didn't know about this until recently. <laughs> so I had made like some Instagram post about it, and she's like, "I had no clue you were doing this." <laughs> well, I guess we did a good job then. Yeah, totally. You're like, so, "Hey, we were doing these covert shows, and the, the person that lives in the house has no idea this is happening." It's like, "Oh, perfect. Yeah, we can keep this going." But I- the crazy thing was too is that my grandmother never said anything about it. Like she was the garage faced my grandmother's house and I'm talking I mean, you know, obviously there's extremely loud bands playing in the garage, you know, and she never she never ratted us out. I thought it was pretty awesome. Oh, that's that's spectacular. <laughs> and I do yeah. I, I, the 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 picture you paint of um, you know, the uh getting raised by your grandparents and I think that the, yeah, I really identify with that because I, I mean, my, my mom, my parents were divorced when I was five and, you know, there's a couple of years where my mom was basically relying on her parents. And I, I think there is something that is really valuable of that, having that close generational connection to grandparents, because I think it's, um, you know, a lot of people have that relationship with, you know, older folks is the, the people they see once or twice a year at holidays and they're like, Oh yeah, I just want to avoid them because they talk about weird stuff or whatever. And like, you know, for, for, like you said, the close connection that you had with your grandmother, even though, you know, through her, all her flaws, you, you know, loved her and she gave you a lot of these things unintentionally (laughs) that built built the backbone. And I think that's such a, um, you know, I mean, I, this sounds very, you know, Alice in Wonderland pie in the sky, but it's like, that's, that's a really special thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's funny. Even thinking politically too, because both of my, I mean, my, my grandfather especially was very intelligent. They were both from uh, West Virginia, you know, from the hollers, which I found out a couple years ago, um, is, is vernacular for hollow, which is just a, basically a little neighborhood in West Virginia. But, you know, they grew up in a, really rough area. My grandmother was extremely poor, uh, growing up. And, you know, along with that came with very conservative, not religious because they weren't religious, but political views. So it was interesting, like even growing up with like, honestly, a little bit of racism going, racism going on in there too. Like it's, it's weird that I completely disconnected from that as well. And almost fought it. Like, no, this is, you know, I learned this is not the way to think, you know, it was, I don't know. You think, given the environment, I would have turned out to be all of my brothers, for that matter, would have turned out to be you know different people. But somehow we turned out to be the complete opposite. Which I don't know. It's kind of funny how that works. BMX and uh, you know, kind of hardcore into your life at around 1989. It seemed like that was a you know real pivotal year. Yeah, yeah. The 89 was when um, I mean I, I was still into metal at that point, but BMX introduced. Um, there were there were kind of two different scenes. There was there was this like scene of of um, BMXers from Oklahoma that put out videos that were very connected to like the Discord scene, and then there was a group of BMXers from Austin, Texas, who were really connected to the industrial scene of like Illinois, of Ministry, of Front Two Four Two. So I got subjected to both 
punk and industrial kind of at the same time, which I'm, I'm still very much into both both of those genres. But uh, that was kind of my my breaking into those style of music, actually, or those style of music was through through BMX, and uh, they both kind of progressed together. So, got it, got it. That makes sense. And now uh, I was actually going to bring this up a little bit later, but um, it's appropriate to talk about it now. I think there, and maybe just because of me being from Southern California and, uh, you know, existing around skate culture, even though, you know, I was terrible at skateboarding, so I'd never got into it, but there was always this real, real divide of like, oh yeah, BMX is pretty lame, but skateboarding is cool. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I know your perspective is clearly very colored because you've been in the industry for a long time and, you know, that is how you, not only you make your living, but you, uh, have so many important things in your life, but like, for one, does that still kind of exist or is that basically like a, a relic of the past where it's like, no, no, ab- no, it absolutely still exists. Actually. <laughs> it's funny. I follow, um, I follow Nate from, uh, from converge. Uh, I knew him from, um, from the channel days when he was in channel, they'd tour down here and we, and reversal man ended up touring with Jesuit at, at some point. But, uh, you know, Nate is, is really into skating and stuff. And I, I was actually really kind of heartbroken over this dude. He, um, Nate had said something about this new cement park and park opening up in um, the part of Virginia, which I think he still still lives in. And there was this other like kind of straight edge dude that made this really backhanded comment about BMX. And I'm like, I'm not a troll, but I so badly want to jump in there and say something like, "Dude, this is just this is just really lame." <laughs> but yeah, there's still there's still a lot of there's still a divide for sure. We have the skate park at Tampa down here, which is literally about four miles from my house. It's one of the oldest indoor skate parks in the U.S. Um, really tight with the owner. Um, and then the old owner that broke off who does the border now. So I'm really tight with both those guys, but there's still this, there's still a vibe for sure. It's, it's funny. There's like an older vibe. There's a vibe with my age bracket, which I'm early forties. And then with the 50 year old kind of bowl skater dudes there's still a weird vibe. And then with a lot of the younger dudes now going to spots, there's, there's a vibe, but you know, you get, you get to know someone and it's, I don't know, you know, it kind of changes their perspective on things. They realize that I'm just, I'm just here to have a good time and I'm not trying to smash your shit up. I'm not trying to ruin your spots. I'm right. respectful. So, so, but yeah, there's still definitely a divide there. And we, I, with profile, my, my current job, which I, I've been working at, we've been, I've been there 17 years now. Like we, part of my job is to take the team out and to, you know, to go ride spots in the U S we've done a couple of European tours, but we're always like very, aware of that being a situation no matter where we go so it's always like stepping on on eggshells for sure when you go to spots to not piss off the skaters because it just exacerbates the you know that divide there so yeah, but yeah it still exists for sure okay. that, that i just i wanted to make sure that that my uh my, my outsider's perception of it um you know was was either dated or somewhat accurate so that i, oh, no, I no, appreciate that sure. <laughs> yep. um and so what was your uh, kind of path that you were headed on before, you know, music really kind of consumed you? Um, like, you know, did you, I, I mean, it sounds like you were making the connection, like, you know, as you were going through, you know, high school and college, like you said, the environmental science degree and that sort of stuff, you were connecting it directly to your, you know, ethics and principles and stuff. But, you know, did you have an idea of like, oh, this is what I'd like to do for a career? Or was it just basically like, oh, yeah, whatever. No, not at all. Um, I was kind of, my mom actually was a, had a really large hand in getting me into college. I was going I actually went up to to um, Boston actually because I, I got an acceptance letter from from uh, Boston U. And um, it's funny, I went up there the summer of '94 to check out the school, and I wanted to go because of the Boston scene. I was really into Converge. I was really into like um, there were a lot of these obscure bands up there from the time, like Chillmark and. Um, 
who else was from that scene? Bound was from up there. Um, I was really connected to that scene, so that's why I wanted to go. And then my mom ended up getting me into the University of Tampa, which is right here in downtown. And um, the reason I went was because I, I was able to get a larger scholarship from them because we couldn't afford I couldn't afford to go to school unless I had help. So we ended up um, ended up going to UT. Chose environmental science at random just because I made the you know the odd connection of oh you know I'm kind of in, in, into environmentalism. I'm into animal rights. Let me let me go down this path. And then actually took a modern poetry class in '97 and uh, and switched as soon as I was done with that class. I'm like I think I want to get into literature. I'd always enjoyed reading, but I think this professor I had was just so she was so awesome and so enveloped with what she did. That that kind of changed my mind for uh, for a major switch, which I switched to English and then um, creative writing as a minor. But uh, I had no career path with that. I was just doing it because honestly, I felt it was punk. I'm like, man, this stuff is really, really punk. Yeah, <laughs> so and, well, like, and, and it's really romantic too. Like the idea, yeah, because it's connected to art and very much so. Yeah, clearly not something that many people choose to you know dedicate their studies towards. So yeah, I. I I totally see where you're coming from. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the path I kind of went down, met my wife actually the next year. Uh, we had another poetry class together. So, uh, we met in 98 and then, um, both graduated in 2000. Um, we both took the GRE to go to grad school and she's infinitely more intelligent than I am. So of course she did really well in it. I did terrible. I do terrible on, on standardized tests. So, uh, it's kind of in this just, I don't know, just kind of floating there. She ended up going to the University of Florida, which she's still there. Actually, she works for the University of Florida now. She, she lives two hours north of here, uh, and she commutes back and forth on weekends. But, um, yeah, I was kind of in a holding, holding pattern in 2000, and then um, I, ended up, I ended up going for a job interview at a, uh, the Hartford, which is an insurance company. I was kind of like, oh, I'll just do this for a while. And the same day, I actually got a job interview at Profile, which is where I'm at now, which is a, a BMX parts manufacturer. And uh, I was like, uh, do I want this $8 job slinging bike parts or do I want this career job where I make, you know, $35,000 a year selling insurance? And I'm like, nah, uh, I'm going to go with the parts. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so that was an 01. I've been there 17 years. So that's kind of the path I, I took. I mean, it's interesting, like the, the, the degree I got and the creative writing that I did, it, I, I actually do use it there because I'm doing a lot of our social media Actually, I do a lot of our social media. I do a lot of our web work. Um, I shoot photos for a product and for our writers. So, I mean, the photo stuff came much later on. But um, I'm actually using it, which kind of feels good. But it's funny because when I was at UT, they had a separate um, business wing of the school. And I always – it's funny because I remember I wrote a poem about it actually. And I, I called – this sounds terrible. I, I, I made this analogy to like people who, stu- who were studying businesses as being soulless. <laughs> Like how crappy does that sound now? And then, uh, and now here I am, seventeen years later, and I'm literally selling. That's what I've been doing for seventeen years: is selling bike parts. (laughs) Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. That that's a that's a sliding scale. It just depends. Like you know, uh, yeah. When you hear the word sales, like there, you know, is uh, imagery of people, you know, from the movie Glenn Gary Glenn Ross of just like always be closing. It doesn't matter what you're selling. You could be selling knives or you know whatever. And it's like, well, like no, I want to care about what I'm selling and. Not just like a sales job or whatever. So I, I, I understand you. You can apply all the stuff that you've learned not only from like the punk and hardcore scene, but like your actual degree, and be like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm being artistic, and that feels good. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And the awesome connection, too, is that I, I met a lot of people in the cycling industry that are very like-minded as well. Like, a lot of our core shops are old punk and hardcore dudes. It's really, really awesome. Yeah. A couple of our really, really core shops are. Right before we got on this call together, I was talking to one of our uh, core shops up in Providence, Rhode Island, or they're in Pawtucket. They're called Circuit BMX. But Vic, the owner, and his wife, Carol, old friends of mine, and they're, they're from the punk scene. And it's great, like... It's great to have that connection there. Again, you know, it's still 20 years later that BMX uh, Punk Connect is just so heavy no matter where we go. So it's it's awesome, and I love it. Yeah, the connectivity is there. I mean, subcultures will attract uh, you know people of all different walks of life, but at the end of the day, you're attracted to something that is you know left of center. And like you know, even though whatever skateboarding and BMX is you know more mainstream than it was you know 15 years ago, it's still a subculture. It's still especially if you're trying to you know, make it the center of your life. And it's like, you know, most people, like you said, they'd look at an insurance job and be like, oh yeah, that's the practical thing to do. So yeah. (laughs) This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're sitting here. It's like June and you're like, where has the time gone? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I got to like accomplish all these other things. Take a moment, focus on the things that obviously for one matter to you, but for two, look back, be like, what have I done well? What have I done not so well? And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help. But where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better, therapy. Therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally. And I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sort. High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. Goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. 
Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, pardon the interruption, but this is a very positive interruption. So you've heard a ton about privacy policies in the past month or so, right? You've got all those incessant emails about stuff. But have you ever heard about a company being stoked on their privacy policy? Well, one of my favorite clients, WeTransfer, absolutely is. For one, they don't sell user data. They don't snoop or spy on files, and they don't want anyone to know your shoe size, soft drink preference, or shopping history, which is incredibly important when you're sending files. (laughs) They're all about making file sharing super easy for everyone, and have you worrying about privacy is the last thing that you need to think about when you're working with them. WeTransfer serves ads to keep their service free, but never in that creepy, I was literally just talking about that thing, and then all of a sudden it appears on my computer screen. So that's very positive. In fact, they reserve 30% of their ad space to showcase the work of artists from around the world, which is awesome because I've seen podcasters being featured on there. I've seen musicians. It's super, super cool. It's their way of making the internet a nicer, simpler, more beautiful place because after all, we need that when we're existing in our digital lives. So start sending files privately and securely at wetransfer.com. You make WeTransfer. I love this service so much. Big props to WeTransfer, the only way to send big files. Okay, now back to the show. Just because, you know, the, the history of reversal of man, you know, has been you know pretty well documented as far as, uh, you know, I'm not going to hit a lot of the same beats that other people have spoken about. But like something that always intrigued me about, um, you know, you, your vocal stylings, and then the fact that um, there were, you know, other bands that were, you know, doing similar ish things to you guys. But it was always the vocals that really, really set bands of that nature apart. And you guys completely fell into that. Like, you know, your vocals like are very take it or leave it. People either like love reversal of man or they're like, dude, that guy is shrieking and I can't even like, begin. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, at, sure. Absolutely. And did, I guess, did people, um, you know, did you get kind of that feedback? Like not people going up to you being like, Oh yeah, I hate your band because of your vocals or whatever. But like, you know, did you feel that kind of like a take it or leave it with reversal of man or, or was it, um, was it something that, you know, you just didn't really recognize until after the fact? Um, it's a good question. Um, I hate my vocals. I hate the way they sound. I hate, and I'm sure that's probably with most people that consider, I mean, I don't consider myself a musician by any means, but, um, I thought about this as well, and I think for us, it was less the recordings and more the live shows that really mattered. I I had, um, again, talking to my friend Justin the other day, and this is tangential, but I think connects to to answering this question. He was like asking about a reunion show, which will never happen because there's just no way we could do it. But, you know, a lot of the bands getting back together to to do these reunion shows. um, it, It was for us, it was more about the live show. So, it was less about my vocals and more about just the absolute kind of chaos going on on stage that really mattered to us, I think. Right. Um, the, re- the records were a delivery mechanism for, you know, the message and then the fact that you could play these songs live and hopefully get people out to the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think maybe that stemmed from the bands that we were looking up to because from that same style of music, you know, like, I was thinking of bands like Honeywell and Portraits of Past and Frail. You know, Frail's very hit or miss. People, um, I was talking to Chris Callahan about it the other day. He was like, yeah, Frail, he, I guess, I mean, from what I gathered, he doesn't, he doesn't like them at all. But I, I could see a lot of people disliking that, that very shrill noise. But for us, that's what we 
that's what we emulated. That's what we idolized. So that's what we tried to do. Right. Um, and when I saw Frail live, I got it. I'm like, it wasn't the recordings for me. It was seeing them live and how much power and energy and emotion went into their live show. That was really forced and first and for, uh, first and and foremost and in the forefront. So, um, yeah, the recorded stuff. Like, I remember a lot of those. I remember being at the um, where we had shows was at the. Um, we had a couple different houses that we did shows at, and when Steve Heritage from Asuk was recording, let's see, what album was that? That was This Is Medicine album. I, I We were doing the vocals, and I couldn't stand the way that they were sounding, so he actually put a um, uh, some sort of reverb, reverb or something on it to make them sound different. <laughs> so that's like <laughs> where, the, where the vocals progressed. It wasn't, it wasn't intentional to go with the music. It was more of, man, I really don't like listening to this, so I'm going to change the way it sounds. So, um, that's really funny. It's like, well, this, this is, this is borderline unlistenable. So I'm going to go ahead and put some stuff on it. <laughs> that's so yeah. Which, which is funny because I feel like it even made it more unlistenable. Uh, not that I didn't care about it. I did very much, but it's like when like I'm listening to bands like union of Uranus or like his heroes gone, I'm thinking like, man, these dudes as vocalists are, this is powerful. This is brutal. I'm sure they probably thought the same thing about their own vocals, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where we went with 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 the vocal patterning. Um, sure. And it's funny, like listening to that stuff now because I listen to like like now with like Meat Wound, who's our local band here. It's Dan from Combo with Veteran. Like his vocal patterns. I they invited me to do two guest songs last summer on their EP that they put out before they left for tour. And I'm like listening to Dan's vocals, and I'm like, this is so strategic and so well done. I feel like I feel like I'm blowing this for you guys. <laughs> Totally. You're like, I, but it's funny. Cause I, I think uh, honestly, most of the time, like, especially when you're recording vocals, y- you feel like, you know, even if it's like a loud, you know, visceral band, like you're recording is such a sterile environment that you feel like you're just ruining it. You know, it's just like, Oh gosh, like it sounds terrible coming through the headphones. And so, yeah, I don't, that's, you're not alone that's in that. A really good point. That's a really good point, actually. Thinking about that, when Dan and I were doing those vocals, we were facing each other doing it. (laughs) You look way cooler. You sound way cooler. Man, this sucks. Yeah, totally. You're like, I'm like red faced and sweating, and you look like you're just like fine yelling. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, totally. That's really funny. (laughs) That is funny. Um, and something that I, I always, um, you know, or what attracted me to Reversal of Man as well was the, um, you know, their, and many of your peers could exist in the same world as well, where it's like there was no real path for sustainability in regards to the notion of like, oh, let's like make this band a you know full time touring band or whatever. Like that, you know. I mean, granted, that was the era in which there were bands that were kind of popping up that could you know do that. Where it's, I mean, I always point to bands like you know Poison the Well and Hatebreed, where it's like those bands, you know, kind of opened up the idea of like, Oh wow. Like we can do this. But like, clearly you were not in that same scene. Um, and so it always felt like, you know, when you go to see, you know, reversal man, it's like, Hey, this could be the last time they're coming through. Like you, you never know. <laughs> and, yeah. um, th- did, I, I guess, did you, um, being in the middle of it, did, did it kind of feel that way too, where it was like always sort of fragile or did it feel very, I guess, focus where it's like no man we're gonna push this as far as we can um starting honestly after that tour in 98 with Asuk, where we toured we did is that two back-to-back tours no it 98 was six weeks and then 99 was six weeks and then europe 
um, that's when I like to use the term fragile. Fragile was definitely like, in my mind, I, any day it could have, it could have imploded upon itself. Not that we weren't, not that we weren't tight. I mean, I'm still tight with all the dudes, um, except John, which is another story, but that, that was the drummer, but all the other dudes in the band, I'm still really, really tight with. It was more of like, um, touring for that long was just really, really brutal. Um, I mean, you know, it is you guys, you, um, you guys tour. Um, I don't, I don't know if you, if you tour for that long, but it's, it's really, really wrenching on you. And, um, yeah, I think starting in 98 after that, uh, the tour was amazing with Asuk. It was six weeks long, but after that, I'm like, man, that was really, really draining. And I think that's when things got a little bit more volatile where, you know, the next summer we, we did a European tour, which was amazing. I would never take any of that stuff back, but it was just like, I was, I was fearing it. I'm like, man, we're going to be gone all summer again. I mean, this is also when I was really, really getting into BMX and I was traveling a lot more for it. So not being able to ride my bike for three months at a time was obviously, you know, really painful. Totally. But, but no, I don't think as far as like long run went like, no, I mean, we were doing it as, and I think Chris again from page and I hit this on the head too. Like you'd go to play shows for 40, you know, to 40 people and be stoked. You know, that's all you could really ask for. And you'd, you'd play your heart out. And if if five people came up to you afterwards and said they were really stoked on what you guys did, then mission accomplished. If one person did that, you know, mission accomplished. So we weren't thinking like long term at all. And and uh, it's also a scary thought, too, to think of all the bands that that I was really into that that like kind of broke up or came back later on and tried to produce, you know, more material. And it's like there's it's just not I don't know. It's so hard to recreate that when you don't know what you're doing, I feel like a lot of this experimental stuff happened because it was just happenstance. You know, it was like, we're going to put a bunch of stuff together and it, it may or may not work where, you know, a lot of bands kind of get more into this situation and I could be completely going off tangent here, but you, you start like putting things together and it loses its, it loses its feeling because it's so, it, 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 it it's put on like this, I don't know, this map of creation, you know, where, where then we would just get together, we would practice, play, you know, throw a bunch of crap together, and if it worked, it worked. And uh, we were just kind of looking forward to that weekend, you know, we get to play out to 40 of our friends. So, and that's what, that's what we, we strive for, and that's what, that's what made us stoked. Yeah, so, well, that, that's, I, I do like the, the, the words that you use there, like the map of creation, because I, you know, not, clearly not sliding bands that, you know, are now, like, now there is a, uh, path in which bands can start and have a vision of how they could turn this into where it's like, Oh yes. Like, you know, I am a touring musician, you know, and that's awesome because so many of our friends exist in that world. But like when they, when you get on the treadmill of, you know, you're on tour 10 months out of the year and then you have no, uh, connectivity to the world at large beyond existing in vans and buses and whatever, then you start to, you know, frankly, you just run out of material to like pull inspiration from, you know? And like, yeah, you're, that's, that's a really good point. I never thought of that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But like, like you said, but the, the, the fact that, you know, um, so many, I mean, reversal band is a prime example of a band that, you know, you guys existed in a, a shorter period of time. You accomplished a decent amount as far as touring and, and releasing records, but like there, you know, there probably was no sustain there. Well, obviously there was no sustainability in the fact that 
you were you were creating when it was you know convenient for you and when it was like okay yeah like like you said this is just like okay yeah i guess we'll tour because you know we're we're off during this time and like we just released a record or whatever as opposed to okay it's been 18 months it's time for a new record you know yeah totally absolutely (laughs) yeah it was interesting too because every break we got we would be on the road like winter break you know the two weeks um that you you had had breaks for from college um and from school for that matter well jeff was still in high school at the time our bass player but like the two weeks in between um winter and spring it's like take off you know you go to canada or you go to california or wherever and then summer was like always slated we're just going to be on the road i mean granted we were doing it for fun it's not like we were like all right we need to go out there and make some cash it's like we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna go to school in the uh in the uh in the spring we're gonna work at the same time part-time I was working at a Dunkin' Donuts, actually. We'd save up all of our money, and we would spend all that money to tour, which was rad. That's all we wanted to do. Like, we're going to dump it back in because we just want to play shows. Um, so, yeah, to think of it, I mean, it would have been, you know, and I think with a different band might have been cool to try to do something more serious, but I don't think we even took ourselves that serious. <laughs> we're just like, we just want to play to our friends, play a bunch of, you know, really loud music and have this kind of emotional experience, and then... And then go back to um, what we were doing in the fall, you know, back to school or go back to work and start over again and start saving for that next one. Well, but maybe maybe this is just due to the age in which I was, um, you know, uh, consuming your music, you know, whatever, 17, 18, 19 years old. But the, you know, to kind of not poke a hole in what you just said, but the idea that um, it, it, you know, the the band felt um, important to me because it was, um, you know, kind of it was a rallying cry in a sense where it's like, um, you know, this there's sort of a question couched in here. So I apologize. I'm, I'll, I'll get to it. But the, um, you know, it's like I liked a band like Earth Crisis, like they were incredibly influential to me, you know, opened my eyes up to, you know, veganism and straight edge and everything like that. But then, you know, I hear, you know, get the kid with the sideburns and then I kind of have a different view of like how the scene exists and like, you know, it, not trying to rehash old drama because that's not what I'm here for. But like just this notion of, you know, versatile van existing, trying to rally, um, you know, the weirdo kids, um, not behind, like not being against this band per se, but just against the mentality behind it. It, you know, that that's a, like that's important. And I think the um, the kind of casual nature that, you know, you were talking about the idea of just like, well, yeah, like, you know, there's we just touring and, you know, kind of happenstance. But like the way that you presented it, uh, was very, um, uh, I guess, inspirational, if that makes sense at all. Like, I- I'm trying to kind of weave a-, a few different narratives in there, but. Sure, sure. No, for sure. It- as a side note, too, like, all of us were really into Earth Crisis. <laughs> totally. And, and, that, and, yeah, and we it were, seemed that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we were like, I mean, man, that Firestorm EP, whoa. You know, still, like, I listen to it today. I'm like, man, this is really brutal and still powerful. I mean, minus the, the, the some of the, the stuff they dealt with with pro-life, you know, or the pro-life issues. Like I still, I still very much agree with, you know, all their animal liberation stuff and, and veganism and whatnot for sure. But, um, yeah, we just kind of felt let down. You know, I feel like Tampa, Tampa was this really interesting group of tons of different like sub genres of, I don't know, music culture that came together. It was a mix of goss. It was a mix of industrial people. It was a mix of punks. It was a mix of crust punks. It was a mix of straight edge kids. And I feel like we all came together and just made this big group of, like you said, weirdos. I mean, that's what we were. It's what we still are, you know? And, you know, after, uh, I feel like, like as that style of music that not New York city, that, that style of like tough guy, hardcore, like it, 
I don't know, it almost became a threat down here because it was more of like, man, this is cool. Like we agree with a lot of this stuff, but we're just, we're really not into this approach. And that whole instance started out with us like just being stupid at their show. And we dressed up like the village people and we're dancing around and having a good time. And they, they literally got violent with us because that wasn't, something that they were into right <laughs> so yeah but th- th- that's taken yeah that's that's taken the piss out of their uh their their message so to speak but yeah and, and it's so funny because like in like trying to place in context um so much of that quote-unquote scene drama from you know the the mid to late 90s and like trying to put that in context now where it's like you know the the, the scene drama that exists is like you know real world stuff you're talking about you know uh, band members being inappropriate with you know young girls and stuff and it's just like sure. dude we were talking about like you know stuff that seems so inconsequential of just like yeah goofing off at a show and then having bands beef with one another and like yeah of course there were certain issues that were you know more m- meaningful and uh caused more of a stir back then but so much of that scene drama just seems like so inconsequential oh absolutely completely yeah no i'm i'm 100 percent. yeah i mean yeah yeah absolutely for yeah, sure that's funny um, the following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And so then, you know, as you started to kind of, you know, like you said, you had a, you know, real mental breakdown. You had to take, you know, a pause from touring with the band. And like you said, the touring aspect was really, really difficult. There were highs and lows behind it. Um, you know, did, w- as you started to transition out of the kind of, you know, the band life and then start to, you know, look at the real world, was there, um, I, I guess, did, did it feel uh, weird making that transition? Was it like a relief in certain respects or, you know, because sometimes people have that like, oh, I am known as, you know, Matt from Reversal of Man. And like now I am not known as that. Um, did, was there a difficulty in transitioning between those two? Um, no, because I, I still went to shows. I mean, I still go to shows today with the same people that I was going to shows with in the early 90s. So it it didn't really like... 
I think BMX just took, you know, came into the forefront for me more than it's, it's funny because I remember going back, we would go to practice and this was, this was a different volatile period for us in the band with one of our old guitarists. Um, and we were having some issues and I kept thinking, all right, if band practice doesn't work out today, if I get really bummed out on what's going on, I'm just going to go ride my bike and get really stoked. And I would always think to myself, if I'm not stoked on punk anymore and hardcore, I'm just going to ride BMX full time because that's my, that's my substitute to punk and hardcore. So like as the band, as we broke up, um, combat, which was essentially all of us except me. Um, well, and, and sorry, Dan shook, um, excuse me. Combat was all reversal, man. Plus Dan shook essentially, um, went on and they, they, I think they were around for another year and a half. So like I would still go to all, to, to all their shows and support them and whatnot. And then as that kind of transitioned out, I would, I just got more heavy into BMX because that for me was the substitute for the road trip in a very shorter length of time. So basically, instead of out for six weeks, I would just take our team out for five days. We would go to New England. I would go to shows at night. I would do stuff with the team during the day. And that became a much larger part of my life, I should say, which still is. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a was just good timing, I guess, with, with getting that job. I mean, had profile not happened, I, I don't know what would have happened, to be honest with you. I mean, I thank those, I thank Jim, my boss, so much for allowing me to take that job and still have it for this long because it's become it's become that touring substitute for me. So Yeah, no, um, I mean, that makes sense. Well, and I, maybe not even a touring substitute. I mean, obviously it was, but just the, the idea of being um, plugged into communities, you know, because I, I definitely see some people as they transition out of band life and then, you know, they don't feel as connected to going to shows or whatever. And then that's when, you know, people kind of drop off because they don't find a community that sure. fosters that, you know? And so, yeah, it, it's just cool that you were able to, you know, exist uh, you know, in both worlds and still find the importance in both of them. And that's, yeah, that's a, that's a cool transition. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. And, and what I mean, yeah, you're right. Touring is more of an analogy for a lot of things like creativity because I'm, I'm, we're able to be creative at work where we're American made. We, we make bicycle components that are all um, made in our shop. So it's like this, we, I go in and we can create whatever we want to, to give to people for their bikes, you know? So it's like, it's kind of, and there's, there's DIY ethics involved in that. There's it, it, I don't know. It was perfect, perfect timing. So I'm definitely thankful for that for sure. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, last two things I want to hit on was the, um, something that, uh, you know, you are, uh, you are still, you're still straight edge. Yes. Correct. Yes. Yes. Very much. Right. And you are uh, vegan or vegetarian. Uh, I'm vegan. Okay. And so, you know, that's weird because you're old and like, (laughs) but I mean, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, I say that because I am both those things as well. And I think many people kind of look at that as, you know, I mean, clearly it's an anomaly. Like not everybody kind of, you know, adopts those lifestyles when they're in their teens and then still carries them, you know, into adulthood. Um, You know, what kind of keeps, I I guess what kind of keeps you connected to, you know, both because, you know, they both are, I mean, veganism less so because, you know, clearly that's connected to stuff outside of our subculture, especially now, but, you know, especially like straight edge as well, like that, um, you know, that, that sometimes is viewed as like, all right, yeah, well, you're 25 and now you can just call yourself sober or whatever, but sure. Yeah. What, what, what keeps you connected to both? Um, that's a good question, actually. Um, Tampa, a lot of the people that I grew up with within the straight edge scene are actually still really close friends of mine. And 
it's funny. I'm thinking of like Seminole Heights where we live. I mean, I could think of probably 10 dudes offhand right now that are still straight edge that are probably over 45, close to 50 now. And it's like, that's a part of it. It's almost like this revelry and the fact that we're all still these kids and grown up people's bodies, you know? So I, I think that's definitely one of the connections for me is that I have so many close friends that are still very straight edge, not in, in this, like this, you know, I'm going to wave my banner type deal, but more of like, I don't know, it's a connection to our youth and something we still, I mean, for, as far as labels, the label sense go, like, I, I guess it's more, I don't know, kind of like this camaraderie between all of us within the scene here that are still straight edge that we can, uh, I don't know, connect to, I guess. Um, and then the veganism is the same deal. I mean, I, I know a lot of my friends here still locally that are that are vegan as well. Um, my wife's vegan. That's actually how we met. We met in 98 because she was going vegan. I went vegan in 95 and then um, met her a couple years later. She was interested in going vegan. She's still vegan as well. So that's my connection to veganism is that that's that's all we know at this point. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, but, um, it, it, yeah, it's not it's not a lifestyle. It's like, no, that's just like who we are, the core of our being. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting, too, because I get uh, Ariel, my wife, and I just went down to Mexico for vacation. We went to Tulum, which is this, I mean, it's like a vegan Mecca down there. It's incredible. But um, we, we were eating lunch, and this uh, woman sat down with us and ate lunch from Canada, and she was like talking about how she'd never met anyone that had been vegan as long as we were. And why I'm saying that is because it was more, um, when we got into it, it was more for health issues for her. It's like, it's, it's funny to talk to someone about it where I'm like, it has actually nothing to do with health. It has everything to do with our ethics and, and just destroying animals life to eat. <laughs> you know, it's like, as no, I don't, the health stuff is a side effect, which is great, but that's not why, you know, we're vegan. But, um, but yeah, still in our neighborhood, like very, very strong connection to both here and I think that's probably why I still, you know, I'm waving my banner for sure. I'm always going to be sober. I have no doubts about that. I'm, I'm never going to do any of that stuff. But as far as like having that as a label, like it's definitely this camaraderie, just connecting to the, the same dudes I'm hanging out that I was hanging out with when I was 16 and feel the same way. So, right, right. And I, I'm sure you get this all the time too, especially when you exist in the real world where, um, you know, it's not like you can mention the word straight edge to people and they'll have any idea what you're talking about. But, you know, most people I'm sure look at you, you're like, Oh, oh, you know, Matt doesn't drink, so like he's a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like it, it happens so often where you're just like, no, I just don't drink, and they're like, well, what? Like it just doesn't compute. And I'm like, it's 2018. This is insane that people still think that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's really funny. I still get that for sure. Like, yeah, <laughs> people that I, I don't know, I'm like, oh, you want to drink? I'm like, actually, I, you know, I, I, I I'm. I kind of, I guess I'm always cheesy when I say, actually, you know what? I don't even know what alcohol tastes like, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dude, so good. I don't even know what alcohol tastes like. That's like, <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it to be a dick. I'm being no. honest. Like, I don't, I don't know what the stuff, I, I'm not going to try it now. I haven't done it for 41 years. You right. know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good, man. Thanks. <laughs> um, and kind of, uh, the, the last thing I want to hit on was, you know, kind of what we were, we danced around it, uh, previously, but the you know, how you view kind of nostalgia, um, as people, you know, still bring up, uh, you know, reversal of man and look at that band as, you know, being a touchstone and being influential. Um, and then, you know, bands that you guys, you know, toured with from, you know, Asuk to, you know, Orchid and everything else, like these, many of these bands get, you know, vaulted up into the sort of, you know, uh, <laughs> the rafters, so to speak. But, you know, at any one time they were playing, you know, uh, on a tour, for like a grand total of like 300 people, you know, for like a six week tour or whatever. Um, you know, so how do you kind of, uh, I guess deal with like nostalgia and kind of, uh, you know, your own personal feelings towards your band and then the way that, um, you know, other people kind of reflect on, uh, you know, your work over, you know, a three period of time and people still call you Matt from reversal of man, you know, how does that kind of 
jigger around in your brain. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's very humbling for sure. But I I feel like yeah, I get a lot of people reaching out, and it's it's cool. I get to make kind of late connections, not late, but like you know connections posthumously 20, 20 years down the road where, you know, I get people that, you know, it's like me reaching out to, I guess, local, um, um, writers here that I've done before, you know, I reach out and say, Hey man, I really appreciate this piece of work that you wrote 20 years ago. Um, kind of the same thing, I think. And, and again, it's, it's really humbling. And, uh, I mean, I don't reminisce on this. Well, I shouldn't say that because I definitely post things on Instagram, but they're like found objects. And I feel like it's, it's like, I find something and I feel like a story needs to be told about it just to, to share, you know, to share that story. But, um, I mean, I don't, I, I guess looking back, I mean, I don't, I don't feel any negativity towards that. I'm not really sure. I guess it's kind of an open-ended question. Um, but I definitely appreciate it all. I miss it a lot. I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't hate it. I, I mean, I try not to hate it because I have other things going on that I feel that I can create to, to offer other people, you know, is it, whether it be art, whether it be writing, whether it be photography or, or writing with people during sessions or whatnot. But um, I, again, I feel too like Tampa's experiencing a renaissance right now with a lot of the dudes that I and women that I grew up with uh, here in the scene that are doing new projects. So it's it's kind of really awesome to start not experiencing it again. It's just like it's still here. It never went anywhere. It's just like whether people know about it or not, Tampa is always. Tampa's always had really cool stuff going on, and it's just a surrogate for for what I experienced heavily from from '95 to 2000. Um, Jeff from Reversal Man's in a new band called Horsewhip. They're incredible. I mean, they sound like a brutal '90s hardcore band, and it's all my friends I grew up with. Uh, one of the dudes I actually still ride BMX with does vocals. Uh, who is from a band Order of Importance from here. So um, I don't know. I, I guess the reminiscent part, like we're still experiencing it here. Maybe not on as big of, or not big, I shouldn't say that, but like not on the level we used to because we're not touring. We're not, you know, able to reach out as much as we, we can, but it's still a big, big and heavy influence here in, in our neighborhood. So I don't know. Sorry. That was kind of a roundabout answer to the question. No, Sorry. Well, no, because I mean, it, it, I, I mean, I appreciate those thoughts because it's like, you know, there's no real, you know, easy kind of uh, buttoned up answer for that just because it is, yep. These things that you start when you are, you know, young, and how they reflect on people. Uh, you, I mean, every piece of art ha- you you cannot possibly comprehend the intentions uh, or or the ramifications of that piece of art sure. once it gets released in the world. And so, um, I, I think the only thing that I reflect on uh, of you know bands of your ilk, where it's just like it it boggles my mind of you know how something so you know uh, visceral and uh, honestly small relatively speaking you know when you're comparing it against other bands um it, how it can have the the kind of memory and long long lasting nature when it's like you know this this was kind of meant to be in a time and a place and like you said the most important part of reversal of man was the live show and like obviously people can't experience that now you know and so it's uh, it, it's just it, it, it's cool to be able to point to that and ha- still have people, like you said, kind of you know care about it, and that's just like humbling. Very much so, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, Matt, I love hanging out with you. This was super fun, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope it was all the, that you thought it was going to be cracked up to be. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you reaching out again. It was really humbling that you'd ask, and I hope I, uh, I don't know, I hope I answered the questions properly. <laughs> I get a little nervous sometimes that I go on tangents, but I think it's you know it's all relative, uh, re- relevant, I should say. 
Wow. Wow. Right? Matt was a great chat and I hope you, uh, you learned some stuff cause I definitely know I did. And, uh, I appreciated his, uh, clarification on the whole BMX versus skate culture. Cause like, you know, sometimes you just build up these ideas and archetypes in your head and you don't know if they're actually reflective over what it is that, uh, is the truth. So uh, I appreciated that. And, uh, thank you very much, Matt, for taking the time. Cause I know we had some scheduling issues and, uh, yeah, he, he took some time off of work for this and I really appreciate that. So Boom. And next week is another awesome chat. This is a person who I had never met prior to doing the podcast with her. Her name is Yvette Young from a band called Covet. And they're from Northern California. They have the whole sort of like, you know, art, indie rock, math rock thing, whatever you want to call it, instrumental. I adore the band. And when the opportunity to speak to her came across my, my email inbox, I was like, yeah, actually, that sounds awesome. And she is incredibly compelling because basically she's like this, you know, guitar savant that has a large social media following, but, you know, comes from the sort of, you know, DIY principles that many of us know and, you know, just goes to, you know, local independent shows, but then also has this large following online and just kind of the two worlds that collide where she's like, I'm just a normal human. And then people happen to pay attention to what I'm doing online. So it's really interesting, but, and covet is an awesome band. So they're coming out with a new record on triple crown or a new EP. If I'm not mistaken, six songs, super, super good. Probably going to be in my, uh, year end best of list in some capacity, but I don't know because it's not a full length. So anyways, um, yeah, that's what we got next week and please be safe everybody. And I'll be talking to you from not Hawaii next time. Okay. <laughs> Talk to you then. Oh, but wait one moment. WeTransfer is on a mission to make the internet a nicer, simpler, more beautiful place. That's why they built their site to send files with no logins, no passwords, and no privacy intrusions. Start sending files privately and securely at WeTransfer.com. You make WeTransfer. Boom. Done. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. JabberjawMedia.com. Shh. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. High Five Casino Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.